It's late 1983, and Mark Martin is down in the dumps. It seems his NASCAR Winston Cup Series career was over before it really had a chance to begin. His 1982 season started off fairly well, being as high up as 13th in the points after the 11th race of the season at Dover Downs. Four top 10s and 11 starts is not bad at all for a young man who, at only 23, was much younger than most of the field in an era where if you were under 30, you weren't likely to get a top ride. Martin had his eyes set on the Rookie of the Year award, which included a trip to New York on the world stage. However, after six DNFs in the final 11 races of the season, Jeff Bodine snuck in and stole the award, the trip to New York, and the all-important cash prize out from Martin's nose. In 1983, Martin paired up with notorious con man J.D. Stacy, and unsurprisingly, the pair separated quickly, with Mark Martin being about the furthest thing from a con man in NASCAR history. And I'm sure he wanted to actually get paid, which J.D. Stacy refused to do. Martin bounced around for the rest of the year, never landing in a stable situation. Unable to secure a ride for 1984, he was forced to go back to the American Speed Association, with future NASCAR Woolwagon legend Jimmy Fenning joining him in 1985. Martin won his fourth ASA title in 1986, but still wanted a second chance at the top levels of NASCAR. In 1988, he would get it. I'm just fulfilling my destiny. I told y'all I'm a psycho. Ain't no telling what I might do. Yeah. Al put his hands around my throat, so I cut him off. That's what you give a stepping on my toes. At the top of the key, that's a nice hole. My career about to take off flight mode. You don't like where we're headed? What you sitting on my flight phone? Huh? Yeah. They said, wait until your time comes. Nope, time's up. You put in the album, got you thinking it's your birthday. Woo! Yeah, I'm full of surprises. A lot of pressure on the record, so you know I'm making diamonds. Tell me, how would you define this? You witnessing the finest. Yeah, you never know what you can do until you try. I've been working late nights like a letterman. He ain't working anymore, we'll forget it then. Somebody get the sedatives. Too late, yeah, the light bulb's off in my head again. Where is Edison? From my adrenaline. Rushing through my veins like it's never did. Bucket is the body, man, if you ain't got the head with it. Since a kid, I've been a pessimist. I like to focus on the negatives. I talk to God like what's next for me. I'm just fulfilling my destiny. Yeah, my pops told me he was proud. I don't think he knew what that meant to me. Yeah, you try to take advantage of me before you die, you'll be dead to me. Before you die, you'll be dead to me. Roush Racing's NASCAR team was started in 1988, and they tapped a kid from Batesville as their first full-time Cup Series driver. Martin's performance in the Bush Series the year prior had impressed Jack Roush enough to make him the franchise driver of the team's initial Cup Series stint. As Martin had compiled three wins, five poles, 13 top tens, and an eighth-place points finish. However, just like his rookie season in 1982, DNFs outweighed the flashes of potential Martin constantly showed winning the pole at Dover and finishing runner-up at Bristol, 
showing an early affinity for the concrete short tracks. Martin's 10 top 10s equaled his number of DNFs, and that led him to a 15th place points finish in a year that easily could have ended in the top 10. In 1989, the team had remedied the DNF issue and had returned with just as much speed. Martin collected 14 top fives, nearly half the season back then, and led 122 laps. A 15th place points finish at the end of the 1988 season was a solid mark for a relatively new driver and a brand new race team. Rouse had shown it was capable of winning races, and the blueprint seemed to be there for a championship caliber team five or so years down the line. Rouse didn't seem to want to wait that long, however, and the next two years would be a prime example of it. 1989 would be Martin's breakout season, finishing top five in nearly half the races, leading 480 laps, winning six poles, and most importantly, finally breaking through into victory lane at Rockingham. To go one more tour of the 1.017-mile oval at Rockingham, North Carolina, and Mark Martin, 30-year-old driver from Batesville, Arkansas, driver of the Strolite Ford, will win his first Winston Cup event. Here he is, moving through turns number three and four. He sees the checkered flag ahead in the hands of Harold Kinder. He receives the checkered flag. Mark Martin wins! While 1989 was an incredible season for a number of reasons, it wouldn't even come close to 1990. Today's Pontiac Excitement 400 is brought to you by Pontiac and your local Pontiac dealer. We build excitement. And by Coors. Coors, the Rocky Mountain original. And by Haviland Superior Grade Motor Oil. Fight sludge, protects engines. And by Goodyear Eagle Tires. Goodyear, because there really is a difference. It is a bright, beautiful, sunlit day here at Richmond International Raceway. There's only one problem. It is cold. Frosty the Snowman would want time and a half for this one. Hello, everyone. I'm Ken Squire, and welcome to the Pontiac Excitement 400. 400 laps, 300 miles for 36 Winston Cup competitors vying for what potentially could be $600,000 today. Looking back, this might be the most important race of Mark Martin's career. While only leading 16 of the 400 laps on the day, Martin pulled his car into victory lane on the night of February 25, 1990. After a disappointing 21st place finish at Daytona the week before, the 16 needed an early season shot in the arm, and Martin's win more than gave it to them. They moved up from 21st to 12th in the point standings. However, the biggest story of the race wasn't Martin's win, or his drastic improvement on the points list. It was a penalty. One that in the 90s felt relatively insignificant only being worth 46 points when race totals at the time could get into the 180s, as high as 185 or 190 on a near-perfect day. Martin and the 16 were busted for having a carburetor spacer that was a half-inch too big. Then-competition director Dick Beattie famously quipped that he didn't truly know whether the half-inch difference gave the car any advantage whatsoever, despite outcry from Martin's competitors that it did. After the team complained of the penalty, Beattie made his second famous quote of the day, you boys better not lose the championship by less than 46 points. Though a 26th place run at Rockingham knocked the team down a rung on the proverbial ladder, Martin and crew proceeded to catch fire on an unseen level over the next 26 races. 
For the remainder of the season, the team never finished a race below 14th, turning in 16 top fives, 23 top tens, three wins, and an incredible average finish of 6.6 when the year-end stats were accumulated. This is where Dale Earnhardt comes into play. Earnhardt, a three-time Cup Series champion headed into the 90s, was in the midst of his golden years as a driver. And though he lost the Daytona 500 in heartbreaking fashion to Derek Cope, he stormed back with as incredible of a season as he'd had yet. Though he and Martin scored the same number of top tens, Earnhardt visited Victory Lane a total of nine times. In what was then just a 29-race Cup Series season, he won over 30% of the races held. With how slim the point differentials were between first and second, with 10 points between the winner and runner-up, and a subsequent five down the line for every other position, a few more wins may not seem like much. But those extra few points for winning added up. Earnhardt scored at least 180 points 10 times in 1990, while Mark Martin did so just twice. Despite this, the championship was still very up for grabs heading into the final three-race stretch of the year. Martin came in leading Earnhardt. But after Dale finished 10th and Martin 11th, earning four more points in the process in the third to last race of the year, Earnhardt took the lead and never looked back. Martin's 10th place run, Phoenix, was countered by an Earnhardt win, and his 6th place finish at the finale in Atlanta was countered by Earnhardt's 3rd place run of his own. Earnhardt outscored Mark Martin by 71 points over the final two races, earning his 4th Winston Cup and 1st of two consecutive, as he won his 5th Cup in 1991. Remember when Dick Beatty told Martin and the six team to not lose the championship by less than 46 points? In horrible irony, that very situation panned out. 26 points is all that separated Martin and crew from their first title, and seeing how Martin's career later panned out, it's even more heartbreaking. If not for the penalty, Martin would have beaten the Intimidator by just 20 points to claim his crown, and Earnhardt may not have ever earned seven titles. Compared to 1990, 1991, and 1992 were fairly tame for Mark Martin in terms of excitement. 1991 netted a solid six-place points finish, but only one win. While in 1992 he was technically part of that historic Atlanta championship battle in the Hooters 500, he finished sixth of the six drivers eligible for the championship, with two wins to his credit. However, over the next seven years, Martin would go on to have a historic run, with seven consecutive top five points finishes. In 1993, he also made history by becoming the sixth driver in the modern era to win four consecutive races, or the five wins he'd garner in total on the year. What makes this feat even more impressive, however, is that he did it at four entirely different racetracks. Watkins Glen, Michigan, Bristol, and Darlington are about as different as you can get over a four-race stretch on the NASCAR calendar. Martin ended up third in the standings at year's end. In 1994, Martin had perhaps the most anticlimactic second-place points finish in NASCAR history. Second place in the points is certainly nothing to scoff at, and nor is two wins, but Dale Earnhardt simply whipped the field that year, winning the seventh and final Winston Cup championship by a 444-point margin over Martin. More interesting than the championship battle for Martin, though, was his crash at Talladega, where he famously thanked his guardian angel after getting out of his beaten, battered race car.
thank God. Thank God. He's getting out of that baby. Oh, my God. Oh. Say a prayer, Mark. Yes, sir, buddy. Let us all. Well, we have had a major crash here at Talladega right in front of us, and the car that gave us the biggest scare was Mark Martin, and we can only breathe a sigh of relief to see him get out of that thing because he was without brakes and went, uh, well, went a long way, hit two guardrails in the process, and finally came to rest against another guardrail and a catch fence. Others involved include Todd Bodine, Jeff Burton there in the 80, uh, number eight car, Boy, let's uh, let's take a look at what happened. Here we see Todd Bodine. He's going to be involved now. Jeff Gordon comes down. They're going to get three abreast, and Todd Bodine doesn't know it. He gets touched by the 77 car of Sachs. He goes down, hits the 24 car. Sachs, the eight car, spins, and look at all these cars behind him. they got no place to go. Watch Mark Martin. He's hit someone. He has no brakes. Hits the inside retaining wall, and then he goes out of the picture, but he goes through another. We'll see it here. Now watch him, he hits the inside retaining wall, that's the car up in the middle of your screen, hits the Die Hard 500 sign, shoots through a guardrail right here, goes right on through it, mows it down, still at top speed and hits another fence and then the guardrail and finally comes to rest. He had to be going 100 miles an hour when he hit the end of that guardrail and then went over to the second guardrail where he finally came to a stop. 1995 would seem much of the same for Mark with him posting similar, if not better, stats than his second-place finish in 1994, as he won two more races and had two more top tens. However, that's the year Jeff Gordon burst onto the scene with his first championship in just his third full-time Winston Cup season. Martin's biggest highlights from the year included a third straight win at Watkins Glen, as well as his first super speedway win at Talladega. Along with two other victories, Martin turned in a fourth-place points finish and his third straight in the top four. He would slip to 5th in 1996, mainly due to his first winless season since 1988, which to that point was his only winless full-time season. In true Mark Martin fashion, however, the year wasn't without heartbreak. He finished second four times, including at Michigan where he was passed for the win with just eight laps to go, giving up the top spot to Dale Jarrett. 1997 ended up being a fantastic championship battle throughout the year. Martin flexed his muscle with four wins again at very distinct racetracks, winning at Sonoma, Michigan, Dover, and what still stands is the fastest NASCAR Cup Series race ever run at Talladega. Martin held the points lead with 10 races left, but slipped to second in the standings after the 23rd race of the season at Darlington, where he stayed until the second-to-last event of the year in Phoenix. Despite a third-place points finish, Martin fell just 29 points short of the title, which again went to Jeff Gordon. The aforementioned Dale Jarrett, finished just 15 points ahead of Mark for second. Looking at Mark Martin's 1998 season, it reads like a list of stats that would be read off at the championship banquet. Seven wins, 22 top fives, 26 top tens, only one DNF, an incredibly consistent average finish of 8.6. One quick look at the point standing column, though, doesn't seem to make sense. Rub your eyes, blink a few times, and that number two on racing reference still glares at you. It sticks out like a sore thumb. Despite this historic season, Martin never led the points once. He was stuck in NASCAR purgatory for 17 straight weeks. From the 17th race of the season at New Hampshire to the season finale at Atlanta, Martin was second. So who was the one man who somehow finished ahead of him?
Enter in the Wonder Boy, the Mighty Rainbow Warriors. Jeff Gordon and the 24 team were fresh off their second title in their first five years of competition. After winning the first championship in 1995, the incredibly good pit crew combined with the top-notch equipment from HMS and the dynamic duo of Gordon behind the wheel and Ray Everham on the war wagon were primed for another championship run. After a weird first lap and lackluster performance in that year's Great American Race, the team rarely missed on anything for the rest of the season. If Martin's 1998 stats read like a championship speech at the Waldorf Astoria, Gordon's read like a premature Hall of Fame induction ceremony. 13 wins, 26 top fives, 28 top tens, and an absolutely absurd 5.7 average finish. Gordon won over a third of the race's run in 1998. Combined, Martin and Gordon won over 54% of the race's run in 1998. The difference between them, however, was their bad days. Gordon only had two finishes outside the top 20 all season, while Martin had six. Martin never led the points, while Gordon led them for the final 18 weeks of the season. In this span, the least amount of points Gordon earned in a race was 146 in the 31st race of the season, the seventh place effort at Phoenix. It's safe to say that 1998 was the most heartbreaking defeat of Mark's career, the year that would have won the championship in just about every other year besides that one. Many people have echoed the same sentiment that I'm about to. Mark was one of the greatest drivers of all time, while competing against the greatest drivers of all time. In 1999, Mark would have another incredible season, finishing third in the points while adding two more wins to his resume. It says a lot that third was a disappointment, but the season was the last of Martin's seven straight seasons finishing inside the top five in points. It's true what they say, everything good must come to an end. The next two seasons for Martin weren't bad by any means. In fact, most teams would have killed for an opportunity to finish 8th and 12th in the points in two consecutive seasons, as well as winning a race in that time span. Martin and the team, though, knew they needed a big season for the fans and media to regain confidence in him to not just be in the top half of the field, but to be a championship contender. 2002 was that season. 49 laps, and he's catching the car in exactly the right place. He gets his nose down under, puts the car between he and catches One to go, black flag. Mark, you are the man tonight. Mark Martin has never won the Noble Million Dollar Bonus. This is his ninth try at it. He hasn't won since April of 2002, agonizing year. Boy, he's got just a little bit more traffic here. Here comes Kansas. A little bit, boy. He's got a lot of traffic. Kansas is in worse shape. He's hung up back here as well. Mark Martin has never won the 600 at Charlotte. He has now. Now he has. Mark Martin wins the Coca-Cola Racing Family 600. While not his best season from a statistical standpoint, only boasting a single win and 22 top 10s, Martin proved that he still had plenty of gas left in the tank. 2002 was a weird year though. Points leader Sterling Marlin wrecked out at Kansas and ended up being injured badly enough that he was out for the season. 
Marlon's wreck was a microcosm of his year, a season where he nearly won his third Daytona 500 as a close but no cigar type of year. However, Marlon wasn't Mark's sole competition from the championship. Tony Stewart, an Indiana hotshot in his fourth Cup Series season, was third in the points until Kansas, taking the lead as the series went to Talladega. Gas tank. We talked about a lot of different uh, scenarios for sure, and uh, well, we got some action going on before we ever get started here. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. We think we know what we want to do if we can just make all of that happen. Yeah, we had a couple of guys get together coming down for the signal. One lap to go, DJ. Yeah, it looked like Mark was trying to warm up his tires and maybe got a little loose and came over into the 48. So uh, I don't know if there's any damage, but we'll have to see what happens. Oh, man, it's, it's starting early, DJ. Good luck. It is starting early. Uh, hopefully that'll be as much action as we'll have today other than just a lot of passing. All right, man, thanks. And the rest of the starting field for today's EA Sports 500. What was that all about? The 48 right front fender when I looked up was pretty well damaged. Man. Did I, I what do you do about that? I'm monitoring NASCAR's radio. I believe the six team is asking permission to pass the pace car to try and come to pit road and check their car. Permission being denied, of course. You're never allowed to pass the pace car. Hmm. Wow, that's weird. That is weird. And the top two guys in the championship before we even get started. And as I said, there is damage. I saw damage to the right front tire, right front fender. Let's see what we can tell what might have happened. Well, you see Mark on the outside, front row. That front down so far that the tire hit the fender there, Mark. Uh, that wasn't me, buddy. It was uh, mechanically down. It was locked. It wasn't the fender. What in the world? I have no idea. He's talking like the, the way he's talking to Ben Leslie is all of a sudden he just locked up. He was turning it left and it would not turn back to the right. He just locked up. And Ben is talking about the air pressure being so low. Matt, what are they saying down there? Benny, Chad Canals was lobbying NASCAR that they could bring the 48 down the hold off, throwing the green. They are not, the way it sounds now, they are not going to do that. Chad is still lobbying. He says that his spotter told him that, that there is damage to the right front fender. Chad is still lobbying. And Rick Hendrick is now coming into the mix, helping to lobby on the 48 team's part. And Matt, while that's going on, they're putting Mark Martin's number up on the board. He's being black flagged. Dave, what's up there? Similar to Sterling Marlin, Mark Martin's one in a million instant with Jimmy Johnson seemed to be a symbol of his career. So close, yet so far. Tony Stewart could basically cruise the title after that and won the 2002 Winston Cup Championship despite an 18th place finish in the finale at Homestead. While Martin was devastated, he was confident in the team's ability for 2003. Ironically, 03 ended up being Martin's worst season with Roush to date. No wins, only 10 top 10s, and a 17th place points finish had many fans wondering if it was time for Mark to hang up the steering wheel and retire. 2002 seemed to be the outlier rather than the standard in a four-year stretch where Mark had only won two races. Mark was 45 heading into the 2004 season, and despite concerns about his age, his military-esque workout ritual kept him in better shape than most of the prospects and current drivers coming up through the ranks. If the goal of 2004 was to reinstill confidence in Mark's ability, it certainly delivered. While he only won one race, he made the inaugural chase for the next Cell Cup, finishing fourth in the points. In October in 2004, right in the middle of another intense championship chase, 
he announced that 2005 would be his last season behind the wheel. He'd be going out alongside fellow legend and veteran Rusty Wallace, who, along with Martin, was given a custom-made Nascron Fox rocking chair. Wallace planned on going into broadcasting in 2006, while Martin still expressed a desire to race on a part-time basis. The 2005 season went on at a normal Martin pace. Despite only winning one race yet again, he once more made the chase for the Nextel Cup, finishing fourth in points. However, it wouldn't be his last ride as originally thought. For the second straight year in October, as he once again chased a championship, Martin dominated the NASCAR news cycle. As it was announced, he wouldn't retire but would return to Roush on a one-year deal for 2006, while Jack Roush mulled over his next driver for the 2007 season. Martin took the questions and situation in stride. Going into the 2006 season at 47 years old and coming off two straight fourth-place finishes after many doubted his ability following 2003. 2006 ended up being a solid season as far as final seasons go. Though winless, he made the chase for the Nextel Cup for the third straight year, finishing ninth in the points and watching with the rest of the world as Jimmy Johnson won the first of five consecutive Cup Series championships. Martin wasn't just done with driving just like that, though. He committed to a 24-race schedule for 2007 and 2008, driving for real estate mogul Bobby Ginn, who had bought out MB2 Motorsports. Expectations were middling for Mark in 2007. He was 48, with a team that had struggled in recent years and didn't have great chemistry with his new crew chief or pit crew. So, of course, this would lead to one of the greatest moments in NASCAR history, with Mark at the forefront. This is, this is the two laps these guys have been working for all winter long and for months even before the 2006 season ended. When the green flag waves, the race is on. If the caution waves, it's over. If they complete the two laps, it's over. Martin, Bush, Biffle, Gilliland, Sadler, green flag. I don't believe you can wait very long, Larry. I believe if you're going to make the move, you got to make it quick. I don't think you can wait too long. If they're going to get him, they need to jump to the outside right away. You know he's not going to give up the bottom, so you got to go to the outside. Look at the outside line. Jeff Gordon in that 24 car with his teammate Casey Mears, but Casey leaves him out there. Now, one back, off to the file behind you. He's coming hard about half back now. Now, when these guys on the outside, when they get side by side with these other cars, they're done. We're coming to the white flag. It's up to the five of Kyle Busch. How long can he wait if he's going to go? Still single file. White flag, one lap to go. Here they go. They got to go. They got to get Mark Moore. They got to move him somehow. He gets back to that yellow line right around the bottom, all the way through turn one and two. Mark Martin is driving the race of his life. And there's nobody that's better at holding people off at Daytona. And Kyle Busch lagged back a little bit. Is he going to get help? Is he going to come? He's looking. Almost, he almost squeezed Harvick into the wall, and here comes Harvick, the 29, with Matt Kenseth. Oh, Mark got loose. Mark got loose. And Harvick's getting a run off turn four. It's going to be a drag race all the way back to the start-finish line. No caution. They're side by side. Right to the line. Big crash. Here they come. Checkered flag. Harvick. Kevin Harvick wins the Daytona 500. We got one car on his roof coming across the start-finish line. They're wrecking everywhere.
If you're a Mark Martin fan, I apologize for showing that clip again. It seemed like the biggest prizes in NASCAR always seemed to evade Mark Martin. Whether it be the series championship or the great American race, Mark could never break through in the big moment. It wasn't that he melted in the clutch, rather, his luck seemed to instead. Despite the disappointment at Daytona, Martin was leading the points heading into race 5 at Bristol. Rather than forgoing his contract though and deciding to run out the year and go for the title, Martin turned over the reins to young prospect Regan Smith, who nearly won the next season at Talladega in a controversial finish with Tony Stewart. Martin ended 2007 with 11 top 10s and did the same in 2008, proving that despite his old age, he could still compete. Mark Martin had stated that his main goal in his part-time efforts was just to win one more race. In July of 2009, he announced one of the most bombshell silly season moves of all time, announcing he'd not only be back full-time in 2009, but he'd be driving for Hendrick Motorsports. The organization was at its peak, winning three consecutive championships with Jimmy Johnson and having stars Dale Earnhardt Jr. and Jeff Gordon winning races for them as well. The season started off about as poor as possible, with Mark's best finish in the first four races being a mediocre 16th place run in the Daytona 500, a disappointing result considering he qualified on the front row. Despite being buried 34th in the point standings, Martin's next two races entailed three straight top tens, and going into Phoenix, the eighth race of the season, Mark felt as comfortable as he'd had so far in his short tenure at HMS. His goal had been to win one more race, and at Phoenix, a track where he'd narrowly been bested in a recent race, he fulfilled his dream. One and two, this'll be no contest. Look at how he goes off turn two. He yanks Tony Stewart by five car lengths. Smooth, bud, nice and smooth. Mark knew he had to get by. He had to get going because he couldn't, he couldn't sit there and wait on Tony. Tony would eat him up if he did. And right now, Ryan Newman, he can't get out of the way quick enough almost. <laughs> Maybe he won't finish better than if it had fitted, Larry. Not looking good. That was a lot of laps on those tires. Sure was. I like the gamble, though. Fourth place, Jimmy Johnson has fought his way into the top five. Wow. Trying to, to win, win four in a row. row. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't even rehearsed. <laughs> You know what? He's not that far back of the leader. Nope. Another little quick caution here. With but five laps to go now. Traffic. This traffic jam back here. We oh. can see a quick caution. Boy, Kurt Busch, that too. He had the rear bumper of that 11 car, Denny Hamlin, jacked off the ground. Four to go. Bush alongside Hamlin. You're watching from Hamlin's car. This is for third. Tony Stewart. Dead even with Mark Martin at seven tenths of a second. That's the gap. Boy, that's it. Tony's going to be so close. You keep running like they're running, they're going to get their share of wins. Well, we're going to Talladega next week, and I got to tell you, he'd be an odds-on favorite to win that race. And here and comes this one, uh, this one isn't over with yet. No, here comes Johnson. He just took fourth away from the 11 of Hamlin. Greg hey. Biffle up for fifth. That 16 car's on the move. He's going to run out of laps to get there, but he is definitely on the move. How about our buddy back there, Sam Hornish, top 10 tonight. Ninth place. Running ninth. Two to go. And Mark Martin playing catch me if you can. Well, Mark started on the pole, and we knew that sooner, you know, he's had three poles this year. We knew he's going to win a race sooner or later. This is great. Hadn't won since 2005. New team, new driver. White flag in the air. Nice and smooth. Nice and smooth. One more. 
like Mark needs to be told, nice and smooth. He's got a one-second lead. He's got half a lap to go. I'm going to tell you what, this is going to be a popular win with the fans and with the competitors, I guarantee you that. And I'm really happy for Rick Hendry because this five car, it's been a while since it won a race, and Rick really is proud of this opportunity way that uh, got to send in Mark Hamm. Good job, Mark. Boy, we had a Mark. battle for third with Kurt Busch and that two and Jimmy Johnson, but Kurt Busch prevailed. Despite a last-place finish at Talladega the next week, the win in the desert completely turned the tide of the five-team season. Three more wins in the regular season followed, one at the Southern 500 at Darlington, a wild fuel mileage victory at Michigan, and a win at Chicagoland, his fourth of the season. Three top fives ended his regular season at 10th in the points, a great mark considering his horrendous start to the year. There was one caveat, however. Because of how the chase field was seeded off wins at the time, Martin went from 10th to 1st in the standings. The chase couldn't have started off much better. Martin not only went in the first race of the playoffs at Loudoun with the points lead, but left there with it after collecting his fifth win of the year. A runner-up at Dover was followed by finishes of 7th at Kansas and 4th at Fontana, and while Martin lost the points lead, he was still considered to be the championship favorite by many, despite being 2nd in the standings. But Charlotte spelled disaster. The 17th place finish occurred when there was little margin for error. It was followed by an okay 8th plus run at Martinsville, but at Talladega, the worst case scenario occurred. Martin was caught up in a patented Talladega accident, finishing 28th. Not even two consecutive 4th place finishes could get him within reasonable striking distance going into Homestead, and all Mark could do was watch as Jimmy Johnson collected his 4th consecutive championship. Martin finished a solid 12th and he'd accomplished all his goals, but it seemed that destiny was in the air for him, yet it slipped through his fingers yet again. After Mark's championship run, Hendricks signed him to a two-year extension for 2010 and 2011, but Martin finally showed his age. Even coming off a second-place season in the points, a winless year followed in 2010. It was pretty disappointing for the team that had nearly won the title the year prior. Mark also missed the chase that year, and it seemed that the honeymoon was over. 2011 ended up being a lame duck year not just for Mark, but also for Casey Kane, who was to drive the five car the next year and beyond for HMS. Mark finished 22nd in the points and winless for the second straight consecutive year, while Casey Kane won at Phoenix with Red Bull Racing. Mark once more stepped away from full-time competition after 2011 and ended up at an odd landing spot, Michael Waltrip Racing. Once the laughing stock of the sport, MWR turned into a championship contender with drivers Clint Boyer and Martin Truex and a slew of part-timers in the 55. Martin still stated that his goal with MWR was to win one more race. And at Pocono that summer, he nearly got his wish. Doesn't get him on the restarts. He didn't think so because the car was just way too tight when he was up underneath that rear bumper of the 20. Now that he's out front, he says the car is feeling great, but Joey Logano's car sure looks pretty good behind the 55. <clears throat> That's the thing, though. I mean, being that usually if you're out front, your car's working the best because it's in clean air. But like you said, I, I think you're right, Kyle. Logano's going to have to make Mark or force Mark into making a mistake. Yes. And, and you saw over the tunnel turn there. Mark lets off early. Joey runs in on him. Mark goes back to the gas, and he puts that three or four car lengths on him right there. Joey's really driving it. Now he's driving it. Now he's overdriving. Yeah. And, and, and no matter where, what Joey does in this race, when he comes out of this race, he's going to be a better race car driver for how racing raced Mark Martin for a win like this. It's nice to be up here 
with greatness. I mean, before the race today on Countdown to Green, we made our picks. I, I didn't. You two did, and Larry Mack. Kyle said Joey Logano. Wally, you said Mark Martin running one, two. I mean, you guys are sharp. What can I say? <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, I'll be the first to laugh if something doesn't go right. And, and you two, not at Mark and Joey, but no, at you two, I promise you. This is about Mark and Joey. This is not about Wally and myself. <laughs> no doubt. But we are good. Well, I, I, I was just going to say, it's hard enough to spend six weeks with you guys, especially when you're right. But you know what? I, Larry, Larry had some good stuff to say about. Oh, Mark jumped the bottle Mark, a little bit. That's stuff that Mark can't that's what do. That's he can't do. Here comes Joey. He might have an up run on him here. Yeah, Mark's there. Oh. Logano to the inside for the race lead. Four laps oh. remaining into turn one. No. It's the kind of thing you can't do. I'm telling you, one little mistake on each one of these guys. Oh, he is all under Mark Martin. He oh, he got him. Sideways. Got him. Martin sideways off the corner. Here comes Joey Logano for the race lead. I don't, know, what done yet. I don't think Mark's going to appreciate that, appreciate that too much. No, but, but I truly believe that once Joey's in front, I do believe this, Joey checked out on him a minute oh, yeah. ago because Joey yeah. can roll so much better through the center of the corner. What Joey was doing was rolling in on Mark and losing his front end. You know, Mark, that, that every bit of that happened when Mark made a mistake up there in three. Right. Got on the curve. Right. He opened the door for Joey to get in on him and just lay the bumper to him just a little bit and get him out of shape. That's a great move by Joy Logani. Joy Logani and still came back and managed something out of it. So I, I think when you look at Dale Jr., as we said before, drove his way back to eight. That's as far as he can get. When you start racing against Kenzo and Boyer and Hamlin and those guys, it gets tough at the end of the race because they're, they're not giving an inch. Joey Logano got the white flag last time by. Less than a lap to his second career win. Jimmy Johnson now closing in, trying to pass Tony Stewart for third. What a day it's been for the five-time champion. And Jimmy Johnson, two speeding penalties, a lap down, makes it up, wave around, all this stuff, and comes back. They do it all the time. And that's yeah. amazing. And it's like we said in the beginning, where has Jimmy Johnson gone? Not anywhere. Welcome back to the top of the board. Joey Logano in his rookie season, won for the first time June of 2009 in New Hampshire. Back to victory lane today. It happens at Pocono. Joey Logano in victory lane. Chris Neville. Well, Mark Martin had the 55 at the front all day. And, Mark, those were some incredible restarts you had in the late going of this race. But that contact between you and Joey down in turn one, what did you think about that? We were racing hard, man. Uh, I wanted to win it so bad. I just want to thank Ken Butler, everybody from Aaron's, the fans, because... That's why Kim Butler and Aaron's gave me this chance. Michael Waltrip. Oh, uh, you, you know, these guys are awesome. What a great race team. And I'm so thankful that I have a chance to bid for a win. I wanted it really bad. And uh, believe it or not, I fought for it. Mark Martin gets his seventh second place at Boca. As disparaged as Mark was, he kept his head down in search of victory lane. In just 24 starts, Mark garnered 10 top tens, a great mark for a driver in his early 50s. Fortunately, 2013 was his last hurrah. In 28 starts, four of which came for an injured Tony Stewart, five top tens told the story of a driver who still wanted to compete but just didn't seem to have the same juice anymore. With that, Mark Martin hung up the racing shoes and a steering wheel, capping an incredible career. While void of a Cup Series championship or Daytona 500, Martin's consistency and constant drive and work ethic remain stories of legend, and once unknown kid from Batesville, Arkansas, was honored with an induction into the NASCAR Hall of Fame.
They burn down hillside black They lay the label down on its back For just one stardust stone Sleeping innocent Oh, no.